0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Exit Velo podcast and the 73rd installment of the Exit Velo podcast. At that, as always, I am Henry Winklehake, joined here by my friend and fellow baseball savant, Adam Cohen. Adam, how are you feeling tonight, man?
1: I'm doing pretty well. It's good to, to always speak baseball on a weekend day, you know, nice break from school. How about yourself, Henry? Doing well,
0: man. Uh, I, I'm not super thrilled about the state of my my college basketball fandom right now, but it, it makes me all the more excited to keep watching spring training and, and counting down the days to opening day. So all in all, I'm feeling great, dude. And we've got a good bit of baseball news to discuss. You know, as spring training rolls around, there's always some Injury news guys ramping up. Um, but just you know, exciting to actually be able to watch uh watch games, see some box scores. It's it really feels like baseball is back, man.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's been great. It's great knowing there's a full season. I've saying this every episode, but there, there's nothing else you could say to that. It's just it's nice to have baseball again. It's nice to know that spring training is starting in just three weeks or so, which is still so hard to believe. And I mean, I just love seeing the highlights and just getting all the notifications on our phone. It's back and it's 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 beautiful.
0: And I don't know if it's totally sunk in for me yet either. But like you said, man, we do have a full 162 games on the way. I think that's going to feel better than ever after the shortened 60 game season. So I'm very much looking forward to that as well. Uh, but let's jump right into it. A little bit of news and notes to start the show, and we'll we'll talk a little bit of injuries. Carlos Carrasco, the starting pitcher now for the New York Mets, moved over as part of that Lindor trade in the offseason, suffering a little bit of elbow soreness, and it sounds like he may not be quite ready for the start of the season, but shouldn't hopefully be too much longer after that. Uh, sticking in the theme of pitchers, your Luis Severino for your New York Yankees, Adam threw a bullpen today and sounded like that went pretty well. Uh, I know that he definitely won't be ready for the start of the season, but good news to hear that he's thrown off the mound and starting to ramp up that throwing a little bit. So hopefully maybe not too long. I think it's, it's May or so is the estimated timetable. Does that sound right for Severino, Adam?
1: No, it's more like July or ah. possibly even August. So he's not going to come till mid season. And it's interesting when you think about it, because I have heard this one guy say that maybe Severino starts out in the bullpen and then transitions to the starter role. I don't think it makes a lot of sense because clearly he's a very good starter when he's healthy for the Yankees. He had back-to-back five, four seasons, but with the rotational depth and just trying to work him back in, it wouldn't be the worst idea to start him out in the bullpen.
0: That, yeah, I could see a little bit of merit to that and, you know, protect the young arm, not trying to rush him back too fast, but it is weird. Sometimes we see guys struggle where they're really in that mindset of I am a starting pitcher and Mm -hmm. then they go and try and throw in the bullpen and it just doesn't work for whatever reason. But yeah, good to to hear he's throwing a bullpen. I didn't realize that they're still looking at um, possibly July or August for him, but hopefully bullpen throwing keeps going well and we see him back because baseball is better uh, when we have stud pitchers back and at full strength and see the game as competitive as possible. And speaking of stud pitchers working their way back, I think that's a good segue to Shoki Otani, who threw another uh, start today in spring training and did not look quite so studly. He actually got shelled, and that's that's kind of the second outing in a row. Um, the strikeouts were still there. He struck out four batters across two and a third innings. So the stuff was looking decent, but he did give up five earned runs and I know it's spring training, so we don't want to totally sound the alarm and freak out. I think the most important thing still is that he's healthy and looking pretty decent. But the stat line doesn't look decent. Or is it okay to freak out about that? Or what are your thoughts on Otani, Adam?
1: It's okay to be concerned because, again, it's spring training. And personally, when I'm watching pitchers back in spring training, I'm looking at their stuff. Or if hitters, I'm looking at their swing. So if, if Otani's racking up the strikeouts right now, that's a good sign. I've always kind of been confused with him too, because I don't really know how this guy gets hit. He throws over a hundred. He has nasty off speed pitches. I don't know how this guy is getting shellacked in two consecutive starts, but you don't, you can't really know until the season starts. Of course.
0: It is weird for a guy who has nasty stuff like that. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand how anyone scores three runs on him, let alone five earned runs, but I I think I'm with you, too, that it's spring training. I'm not going to try and read into it too much, and that the stuff looks good and that he's healthy is is ultimately the thing that matters the most there. Uh, But a couple other guys working their way back from injuries, Jordan Alvarez, the stud young DH for the Houston Astros, a guy I suspect we will be talking about later in the show as we continue our position preview series, talking about the best DHs in the game. He's supposed to be making his spring debut tomorrow. He's coming back from double knee surgery in the off season, which yeah, not great uh, for what a 25 or so year old top prospect, not how you want to start your career. But if there was a position who can handle such a surgery, I mean, DH is probably the place to be, but you still got to run the bases when you hit as much as Jordan Alvarez. Uh, but Cody Bellinger working his way back as well. He had off-season shoulder injury, uh, shoulder surgery, I should say, from celebrating a home run in the World Series. You know, one of those big, like, uh, <laughs> like I don't know what to call that. But,
1: it's like an arm bar or something. Yeah, it,
0: it's something like that. But that actually led to uh, shoulder surgery for him in the off-season. But he's supposed to be making his debut Tuesday, so exciting to see those guys back is is there anything in particular you're looking for uh in either Alvarez or Bellinger as they get back to field action Adam
1: I guess I want to see at least Alvarez I want to see and I guess Bellinger too for that matter I want to see what their pop looks like because in Alvarez's case I know hitters they get their power from their legs and maybe not so much the knees but it's still an important part of your legs of course so we got to see how this how he's doing and when he's healthy, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. This guy hit 27 home runs in like 87 games in his rookie year campaign. People always think he can hit 40 home runs too. And fan a little lower on him right now. They say around 30 because, again, he's coming back from uh, atheroscopic knee surgery on both of them. And then with Bellinger too, sometimes you can have a bum shoulder. And I think this happened with Judge a couple of times, but your power gets sapped a little bit. You're a little bit wonky for a while. So, at least a good sign that he's gonna get some starts in spring training. Hopefully he can figure that out.
0: Yeah, definitely good to be able to ramp up that activity now, not you know, get in at the right at the beginning of the season or even a couple weeks after, and then you know, not have any power in your swing, try and work your way back, figuring things out in the middle of the season. Good to get a little bit of spring training tune-up time, but definitely I want to see how those guys look in the and that spring training action. I want to see alvarez run a little bit it's it's i can't imagine coming back from double knee surgery and granted it, it wasn't you know super major procedures or anything but it's it's still knee surgery on both knees so it be interesting to see uh, both of those guys but moving on uh we had a couple uh we had some news break a few days ago that yasiel puig allegedly uh, committed sexual assault uh, against a woman in a bathroom at the Staples Center. That's the where the Clippers and Lakers play basketball in Los Angeles. Uh, he allegedly followed her into the bathroom and uh, just like pinned her up against the, the sink or something. It was a pretty graphic to read, um, but really just, just not great news to hear, disheartening, um, but you think, too, what it means for Puig's career. He was a guy who was already struggling to find a job uh, and not to not to jump the gun. I mean, there is going to be an investigation, and and I don't want to you know pronounce him guilty without knowing all the facts yet. I'm just kind of reporting the news as it is right now and kind of looking at it from the angle of, of what it means for his career and what it means for him playing this season, and I'm not thinking it looks all that great.
1: This guy was already trying to – they're struggling to find work. And it's funny too because he's around 30 now. He's he's older in the league. He's a veteran at this point. He's trying to change his image. That was kind of the goal. He wanted to like almost like coach younger players. He wants to get away from the antits. And I used to love Puig And again, I could still love him because we we don't know all the facts about this case yet. But he was the guy who made baseball fun. He would like with the bat. He would just be doing all these antits. And sometimes it got in the way. It, it did. But he's trying to change the image, turn it around, and then this happens. So what team will want to sign him at this point? If there isn't a DH in the NL, then sure, he'd be a great bet. And, of course, he's a good right fielder, too. He's a can of an arm, one of the best arms in the game. But it's not a good look for him. And I feel like Puig is also the type of person who he would just totally be fine with like playing in the Cuban League or playing one of these Latin American Leagues instead. I feel like he's he's his own person. He would he would do his own thing. I wouldn't be surprised.
0: He definitely does seem like a guy who walks to his own uh, drum beat. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either to see him maybe, you know, go overseas, play KBO or Japanese League or something, possibly go back to Cuba, as you mentioned as well. Adam, maybe, I I mean, and and being only 30 as well, I mean, I'm sure his baseball career may not be over. Um, It may perhaps in the MLB, uh, depending on how this investigation goes, but I, I, I expect he will find somewhere to play, but not quite sure where that next stop will be for Yasiel Puig. We'll keep you all updated as that situation develops. Uh, But more news uh, to break this week. The MLB is going to be trying out some rule changes in the minor leagues. And there's actually some pretty exciting stuff here. Uh, So they're trying out some different rule changes across the various levels of the minor leagues. And it kind of gets more extreme the further down you go. I guess those high A, low A guys are really the guinea pigs. But what we see in AAA is there's going to be larger bases uh to i guess the idea is reduce collisions uh, not as many people running into each other give you a little more space on the base to kind of you know they can hold down the, the base first base we can hold it down on this side you run through to the right side uh, but it's also expected to ever so slightly increase stolen base attempts and uh success rate and stealing bases it's just that it loose or i'm sorry lessens the base paths ever so slightly. Um, So interesting to see that. And it's getting a little more interesting. I'll, I'll start off with AA and we can stop to break it down here, but they're putting in some rules to limit the shift in AA, some defensive positioning rules. I know the shift is very polarizing in today's game. A lot of people love it for the strategy aspect. A lot of people hate it because it makes it harder to get hits. Um, so they're gonna. I like it that the MLB is at least trying some things out and and seeing how it goes in the minor leagues.
1: I kind of funny how the minor leagues at this point, at least for like the past ten years, they're giddy pays <laughs> They're all they're getting paid for all these new rule changes. Maybe it's always been like this. I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like at least in the last ten years, where Manfred and the end of Sealit's career, they've really tried to change baseball because, of course, it's home run or strikeout or bust at this point. I, th- I kind of am interested in the, in the larger stolen base idea because, you know, a couple of feet can help. I really do not like um, at least just going towards the bottom here in high A where pitchers have to step off the rubber to pick off and it's helping out more stolen base attempts or a limited number of throws you can get on pickoffs because let's say Billy Hamilton's on the base paths and you have about 10 pickoffs in a, well, he can just run you out. He'll just keep taking crazy leads. That doesn't make any sense to me and robot umpires too. And when you look at low ball, low a ball, that's, that's not great because then it's just going to leave all the umpires out of there. I know that you, you certainly will get your angel Hernandez sometimes, but they're not all bad. They're human. And it's been an integral part of the game. And I don't want to lose that quite yet. And
0: certainly to air his, is to be human. Uh, so I understand that. And it is part of the game. It's a history aspect. And it's important to remember that those are human beings who have jobs. Uh, so, you know, we don't want to, completely eliminate that and, and what it means to the game. But I mean perhaps if there's a way to go about it too, where the the humans or human umpires are operating the robot umpire somehow, or he's like standing behind the robot umpire who's <laughs> standing behind the catcher and then the robot umpire says it's a striker ball. So I, this is again this is why I'm interested to have the guinea pigs here in the minor league, see how that works out in practice, as long as it's not, you know, eliminating jobs or anything. But Well, it could be good for the game uh, to see more accurate strike ball counts. And I guess with the pickoff thing, too, it's trying to speed up the game uh, to where they're not going to be doing pickoff after pickoff after pickoff and just making the game longer. I I don't totally get the one where in high A you have to step off the rubber to make a pickoff attempt because, I mean, that could still – that's not speeding up the game if guys are still doing that. It's just making it a lot easier to steal bases, but – I mean, that's kind of a dying part of the game, too. So I'm excited to see stolen bases hopefully being able to take a jump. But I don't know if that's quite the right way to go about it. But nevertheless, we will see how those things go in the minor leagues. And based on that, we may see them up in the major leagues.
1: We certainly might. And just going back to the stolen base aspect of this whole new rule change in the minor leagues, Apparently nowadays you're only able to they only allow players who have a 75 to 80 percent success rate steal bases because apparently it's more efficient if you have that high of, percentage of steel steal bases than uh, just letting the guy stay on first or, or second or whatever and let the batter hit and with everyone hitting home runs these, these days it keeps going down like I don't know if you have paid attention to this I'm sure you have a little bit but once Mike Trout started hitting to like 40 home runs and stuff his stolen base numbers start to decrease because. Once you are blossoming of power, you don't steal as much because you're more of a threat. So it's, it's really tough to see. And, you know, maybe like the bigger bases can help out, but some of these rules, they just got to be a little careful with because you don't want players stealing bases like a 90% rate or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah. You don't want to try and solve one problem and then end up creating another one. Uh, but yeah, I think the larger bases could be something that's more of a marginal effect. So maybe that's more the right way to go. And not something that like totally takes away from pitchers, uh, like you see with having to step off the rubber to make a pickoff move or limiting the number of pickoffs for that matter. So I think that's probably more the right way to go. But yeah, I, I have been frustrated by that Mike Trout stopping uh, stopping to run has, from a fantasy baseball aspect. Yeah. Those stolen bases are ever so valuable, man. So I just want everybody to be stealing, but it does make sense to, you know, go for those guys who have more of a success rate with it. So what can you do, man? The game is getting smarter, all these analytics. So I get it, but I want to move forward, Adam. And with this next piece of the show, what we're going to do is a rapid fire division breakdown. So we're just going to try and spend a couple minutes on each division going around, just give our quick thoughts on if we had to pick right now, what we think the standings will end up shaking out to be. Um, so not a whole lot of in-depth analysis, just just kind of a quick pulse check on where we think the divisions are looking as it stands right now. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump in straight to the AL East. And if I'm running through my rankings, Adam, I think it's Yankees. Uh, and then I actually think the Blue Jays taking a step forward with all those offseason moves. I think they'll be number two and will be a wildcard playoff team. I have the Rays down at number three. Uh, I could very well see them being number two as well. I think they'll still be competitive and ultimately probably will be that second wild card team. And then I'm thinking Boston Red Sox at four, or I'm sorry, I, I put them twice on my list, but Boston Red Sox at four, and then Baltimore Orioles sticking in the cellar at number five.
1: I think your stance is pretty much like the biggest question in the AL East right now. It's like, all right, Yankees are probably going to be first, but who's going to be second? And the Blue Jays can easily win that spot because their rotation is underrated. I'm really interested in seeing if Nate Pearson can break out this year because he can be a co-ace of Jin Ryu. And then their offense is now led by George Springer, and that's going to be amazing for them. So I wouldn't be surprised, but it's tough to sleep on the Rays when everyone always expects them to underperform and they, they outperform the projections almost every time. And they'll still find enough innings eaters through their pitching staff and their bullpen guys will probably pick up some sort of the slap too. So that's why I have the same type of standings, but the Rays gained the wild card and they're second. The Blue Jays are third.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't. I can totally get that as well. The the Rays do always seem to surpass expectations. Those blue collar Rays, no superstars really there, but they just find a way to win games and get it done and just play good team baseball and love what they do with the bullpen and the rotation as well. So wouldn't be surprised to see the Rays get up there to number uh, two, but you definitely, I think, the, a strong tier of top three there. in Boston, who knows? Maybe they can surprise some people, work their way back. But don't expect much from Baltimore this year. But moving forward onto the AL Central as we continue our rapid-fire pace. I actually am thinking the White Sox are, are going to pull this out as I think about it right now. I think they added enough in the offseason with Lance Lynn. You still got Lucas Giolito in that rotation as well. It's where I think that is probably the best rotation. You had Liam Hendricks the bullpen that was – Already decent, uh, maybe probably should be the best in the division with the addition of Hendricks. Maybe not the deepest, but certainly the best reliever in that division. Oh, rapid fire, Henry, rapid fire, fast (laughs) here. Uh, Twins, number two for me. They would probably be the one that you would argue could surpass the White Sox, number one, possibly still flirting with the playoff team there. Got a lot of offense in Minnesota. I'm going Cleveland still at number three, despite them trying to not pay any good baseball players. I think there's still some talent there and that's mostly to do with the next two teams not being very good. I'm going Royals four, though they did improve in the offseason. season and I'm going Tigers at number five.
1: We have the exact same AL central. So woohoo. We're at the same mindset, same wavelength from several States apart and the White Sox, for example, you, you forgot to mention they're hitting. I mean, you mentioned their pitching, which is great, but you didn't mention their hitting. I mean, I think they have a better hitting team than your side of Chicago. So uh, I know you're from Kentucky, but your team in Chicago. So, right. yeah, yeah. But they have a lot of offensive firepower. I'm actually pretty interested about Andrew Vaughn, who was almost on my DH list, spoiler alert, but he can really break out for them and just a good young core of players. Uh, Twins, of course, they've won a the division the last couple of years. So I wouldn't be surprised if they can win it. And then the Indians, too, I really can't see them making the playoffs. There's too many good teams in the AL, and sure, their pitching is great, led by Shane Bieber. I'm sure Tristan McKenzie and Emmanuel Class will be great in the back end of the bullpen, but there's no hitting besides Ramirez. So I'm not too high on them. Royals, I'm happy they're number four because they actually added a lot to the offseason. And the Tigers did two, but I feel like the Royals added a bit more quality players, and for that reason, they're a little bit above for me.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, adding Carlos Santana to that lineup I know helps a lot. um But yeah, I think the the Tigers added Jonathan Chope as well. So the, those teams at the bottom, they're trying. And, and A.J. Hinch, exciting to see his first year as the Tigers manager. So there's something to watch there, at least at the bottom of the division there. And who knows, the, with Cleveland, all the. All the players they've lost, losing Francisco Lindor and, you know, letting Clevenger go. Maybe they take a step back and they end up being either four or falling all the way down to the cellar. would be a little surprising still with the pitching is as great as you mentioned, Adam. But straight on ahead, moving out west to the AL West. I'm going Astros number one. I believe we talked about this in a podcast or two ago, and I thought we were in consensus on there. Interesting to see if we still are. I go A's at number two. I think that is the clear top two teams there. Uh, There's just too much offensive firepower with the Astros, even without George Springer. And and Jordan Alvarez coming back, as we discussed, definitely helps there. Even without Framber Valdez, I still like their pitching a lot between Lance McCullers, Zach Grinke. Uh, good rotation, good uh, bullpen there as well. But the A's, kind of like the Rays, always do find a way to be competitive even when you look on paper and don't love them. But they actually have some pretty good offense as well with Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. They did lose Marcus Simeon. I think that may hurt, but I'm going Angels at number three, and we always want the Angels to be good. We want to see Mike Trout in the playoffs, but... don't know don't love the supporting cast man I mean it's not terrible but it's not great so we see him right there in the middle of the division I'm going Rangers four Mariners five not really a whole lot to say about either of those teams for me
1: once again our stands are very close I just have the Mariners at four and the Rangers at five so I'll start from the top of the Astros and they have a couple of young pitchers who kind of broke out last year and uh, Christian Javier and they also have Jose Urquidy who um, I believe started like a playoff uh, the World Series game a couple of years back. So he's pretty well known, at least in that basis. And adding Oda Rizzi to the mitts too definitely helps out the rotation. Sure, it's always fun to poke the Astros for their scandal, but at some point they're going to regress it. I mean, I think this will happen in 2021 over a full season. They actually restart their bullpen pretty well. And sure, they lost a little bit this off season, but I don't think they lost as much as people thought. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up winning the vision and, We also got to remember the Astros finished under 500 last year, too. So they still even a 162-game season left to climb up a bit. Angel's number three, and they really have rotation by committee at this point. They're throwing all arms into the fire. Don't really have too many starters who are really that amazing. So, I mean, sure, they have Bundy, who's good, but not too many guys after him. Maybe Otani will step up, but hopefully he'll start to shape out in spring training. Mariners, I put four because... They have an interesting group. You have Mitch Hanager back. Kyle Lewis won Rookie of the Year. Marco Gonzalez is a very underrated starter for them. I feel like they're starting to tread upwards and maybe getting rid of their president and finally bringing up Jerry Kalanit, too, will help them out. And then the Rangers, I don't know what they're doing. They were kind of close to the playoffs a couple years ago and then just kind of fell off a cliff and traded everyone after that. So they look like they're in rebuilding mode, and I wouldn't be surprised if they ship Gallo by the deadline and end up in the cellar, too.
0: And I'm putting – I'm okay with Rangers being last place. Maybe I should have put them there too just for the fact that they are going to have full capacity with no mandatory masking on opening day, which I think is kind of crazy. It is awesome to be able to have fans in the stands, but that sounds a bit over the top to me. I don't want to harp on the Rangers too much. Should keep it focused to their product on the field. I just thought that was kind of wild that, yeah, state of Texas, no – mandatory masking anymore. Just an interesting fact there. Um, But moving on to the NL, uh, we're going to start out East where this is a really, really intriguing uh, division. One of the more intriguing ones in baseball with that race at the top. I'm going today, if I had to say, I'm going Braves at number one. I think Charlie Morton is going to be a great addition to that rotation. He's going to be what they wanted Cole Hamels to be last week. And then still have all that great offensive firepower between Acuna, Freeman, Ozzy Albies. They got Travis Darnot, who maybe is not the next person I should have listed, but Austin Riley. There's there's a lot of great offensive there. And you got good young pitching, too. Ian Anderson, Mike Sirocca. Um, Who's the other guy? Who's the other young pitcher for him? Max Freed? There we go. He's another good young pitcher for him. A lot of firepower there in Atlanta, but the Mets man, the Mets got a lot better. This off season would not be surprised at all to see them come out on top of that division. I just like the Braves a little bit better on paper. You had Francisco Lindor. You had Carlos Carrasco, who we mentioned at the top of the show. You still have Jacob deGrom, who's always, always in that Cy Young conversation. And just hit one Oh two. He Yeah, I heard that the other day, which is absolutely insane. A guy who's like already the best pitcher on the planet. Oh, yeah, by the way, now he's throwing like low 100s too, so good luck hitters. I can't imagine catching up to that. I, I still have nightmares from the way he shut down the Cubs in the 2015 NLCS. That was ugly, ugly stuff, but great, beautiful stuff for him and a beautiful pure Mets fan. Oh, they did end up going on to lose to the Royals, but – after that, in the division, I'm going nationals who improved this offseason, adding Josh Bell. Um, and then I'm and still really good rotation there, by the way, too, with Max Scherzer, Steven Strasberg should be healthy this year as well. Maybe a bounce back from Patrick Corbin. Um, but then I added Brad Hand to the bullpen as well. Sorry, this rapid fire has got my brain all over the place, man. But I'm going. Phillies at number four and Marlins at number five. Despite the improvement from Miami last year, that actually saw them make a playoff run, I would love to see some more of that energy. I think that would be exciting. But over the course of 162 game season, just don't think there's all that much talent on paper for Miami.
1: Henry, did you put the Marlins last because they beat the Cubbies in the <laughs> uh, in the wild card series?
0: I don't have that much spite about that because I don't know. I mean, we weren't all that great, and they just went out and played a great series. I just I don't know. I think the other teams, like they don't have like a Bryce Harper. They don't have an Aaron Nola. I think those stars perhaps could put the Phillies over the top, but it is very much a team sport. And maybe Sixto Sanchez could end up being an Aaron Nola type guy. And maybe Brian Anderson could somehow be Bryce Harper. I don't see that one as much, but who knows? I mean, they had a great year last year.
1: And they have some fun players too. I put them fifth as well. So I'm just busting your chops here. But they have like John Birdie, who's one of the fastest men in all of baseball. They also have a great rotation of underrated arms like Papa Lopez, who just gets strikeouts by the dozen. They have Eliezer Hernandez, who's great. They also had, and I, I hate that I'm blanking his name, but he was a former Olympian skater. And then he joined the team. And like a few years after that, I, I, I wish I knew his name, but. That's not um, Alcantara, is it? No, no, no. I don't think it's him. Uh, it's like uh, he didn't play too much last year, but definitely an intriguing person. If you if you figure it out, then let me know. But for the rest of the division, uh, I have the Mets in first place. I think the Braves still have the better lineup and more consistent lineup, but the Mets bullpen what's head and shoulders above the Braves, and I like their starting rotation a bit better too. The Braves can easily win it, though. They're still the team to beat. I just think the Mets are a fun pick, and I wouldn't be surprised. And Maybe I'm leaning a little bit towards Picata, but not too much. I'm not predicting the Braves to finish in fourth. That's reserved for the Phillies, who they really haven't done too much this offseason. Maybe add to the bullpen a little bit, but it's pretty much the same team as last year. And I feel like the Nationals added more than They added Bell and Hand and Schwarber, and they can rely on their big three again in the rotation. So they should be just fine. They should finish in third.
0: And it looks like Eddie Alvarez was that skater for the Marlins. Okay, that's an awesome story. I'd never heard of that before, but I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can certainly see the Mets getting their way to first place there. And weird to see the Picada rankings so low on Atlanta. I don't know what they don't love about them. I think they're an awesome team, but I don't know. Sometimes those, those uh, projection systems can be a little wonky and don't always account for the eye test, I suppose. But moving on to the NL Central, where... I'm going Cubs at number one, man. I'm going Cubs. I know the Cardinals got a lot better this offseason, but I think the Cubs do have the best lineup in this division. Granted, it is not a very great division, and it, it probably will be awfully bunchy, much like it was last year, with the exception of the Pirates, who I think will be pretty comfortably in the cellar. Other than that, I think you could make a case for all four of the other teams to be first place. But the reason I'm going Cubs, because I think the offense is stronger than every other team here, not by a wide margin, but I think it is better even with the addition of Arenado. And then I do think that, you know, the Cardinals have their share of rotation problems as well. You go after Jack Flaherty, it's, it's a pretty dicey. Granted, he's, he is better than Kyle Hendricks. I'll give him that, uh, but I don't know. Their bullpen is probably a little bit better too. So there's a case to be made for the Cardinals. I think there's still a lot of talent in Cincinnati. I have them as number three, but Again, that's another rotation questions after Luis Castillo. I mean, Sonny Gray has been all over the place. He's been great at times. He's been bad at times. I don't trust him all that much, uh, but still a lot of offensive fireworks there for Cincinnati. So I think there's reason to believe they could bounce back. They had like really terrible Babbitt pluck last year. So there's a case to be made for Cincinnati. Uh, and I have the Brewers hit fourth, but I mean, Christian Yelich, one of the very best players in the game, I uh, could see him elevating them a couple of higher in the standings. You have Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff in that rotation, and we talked about them on a recent show as well too. And lockdown bullpen with Josh Hader and Devin Williams. So really it's it's a wide open division with the exception of Pirates at number five. for me.
1: I think, by the way, just before we get into the, or at least my pits for distance, I think you're giving Kyle Hendricks too little credit this you know he's unbelievable. This guy is pretty much a modern day Greg Mattis, and he's been one of the most underrated starters in all of baseball. And Flaherty had a bit of a rough year last year too. So I think the Cubs ace is a little better than Cardinals' ace. But nevertheless, I, I do disagree with you pretty decently here. I think the Brewers had a fantastic offseason because after Yelich and Hira, I thought they had no hitting. And they didn't really have too much, to be fair. But then you had at least two replacement level bats. And Jackie Bradley Jr., Colton Wan, who are going to really shape up the defense as well. Their outfield defense is probably one of the best in the game at this point. Their infield, infield defense gets so much better of Wan, who is probably the best defensive second baseman in all of baseball. And then you already mentioned the pitching staff, which is unbelievable. So, I mean, it's a little bit, it's not the best pitching staff, but just they have some nice brand name guys in the bullpen and in the star rotation. And then Cardinals. It's probably two, the best
0: pitching staff in the division, though. I would say that.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's just the back end of the rotation's a is a bit iffy, just as like Adrian Hauser and Josh Lindblom. So it's a little bit ugly down there, but they have a nice number one too of Burns and Woodruff. And then going with the Cardinals at number two, that's because they signed Nolan Aronado. And that's really the only thing they did this offseason, but I think he's going to really translate well in St. Louis. We saw his numbers go down a little bit last year, but probably both 2020 being a strange year and also the Rockies just really doing him dirty, not really providing him with a team after signing that mega extension. So I think he's already doing pretty well with the Cardinals in spring training and should be fine altogether. Number three, I have the Cubs. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they go in first. I wouldn't be surprised if any of the first three teams end up in first place. But they don't have too much pitching. What's really, really thin after Hendricks at this point. I'm sure they have Arietta and... I guess Mose can maybe break you out a little bit. Hope I'm pronouncing his name right, but it's going to be a little bit rough for them. The Reds too have a shot at first place as well. I'm happy that you mentioned that really bad, bad bit last year, but nevertheless, they still have a really weak hitting team. And without Bauer in the rotation, who pretty much single-handedly brought them to the playoffs, it's going to be harder for them. And Pirates too, they, they really don't have too many players to go off of. Their pitching staff's a little interesting. They have like Mitch Keller, and Chad Cool, I believe. So they they have a, a decent chance in that regard, and maybe Brian Reynolds will bounce back too. But they're they're going to be in the last place for a little while.
0: It's tricky to name pirates, man. Like I don't think I could get to five if I was like sitting here trying to do it. I like Brian Hayes going to be third baseman for him with some upside, yeah. but like I definitely cannot name five pirate pitchers. I don't know if I can name five pirates total. I know Richard Rodriguez is their closer. I pretty much know that for fantasy purposes. I do still kind of like that offense in Cincinnati, though, with Eugenio Suarez, Nicholas Castellanos, Mike Moustakis, uh, and you know a little bit of upside in the outfield as well. Maybe Nick Senzel, Jesse Winker, guys who could produce at a decent rate. Uh, Joey Votto actually just got COVID. Uh, I don't think he's all that great anymore, but wishing him a good recovery. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't say a mean thing about him right after talking about him getting COVID. Most important, we're wishing you a speedy recovery, Joey Votto, get back to full health and getting that Reds lineup and Still an amazing on-base percentage guy, even if the the bat isn't quite what it used to be. But a lot of different outcomes we could see in that NL Central. That'll be an interesting race to watch. Maybe not a whole lot of like World Series contenders by any means, but a lot of teams that are close to each other at talent level. But moving out west, a very intriguing race to watch that does feature World Series contenders and two of the very best in the National League. I'm going Dodgers at number one. They were obviously the defending World Series champions. and Rich got richer in the offseason, bringing in Trevor Bauer, the one of the biggest fishes in the free agent market. He's going to be amazing. Uh, they re-signed Justin Turner as well. That offense is, is looking great as ever with Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts at the top. You still got Max Muncy. There, there's a lot of great hitters in there in that lineup. And then you got the San Diego Padres, another amazing, amazing team with that mega star Fernando Tatis locked up to the mega deal. You added pitching with you Darvish. Uh, and Blake Snell as well. It's going to be a really fun race to watch, man. I I wouldn't be all that shocked if the Padres do end up coming in, number one. They're a lock for the wild card at the very least. But, yeah, I have them at number two in my projections. Gets pretty ugly from that point on. The rest of the division, I think, will be fairly weak. Looking at my standings, I said D-backs three and Giants four, but may actually flip those. I don't know. The the Giants showed a little bit of upside on offense last year, and the D-backs kind of – haven't really shown a whole lot You got Ketel Marte and I don't I don't really have a whole lot else to say about their offense past him um, but I know Dalton Barcio is a guy who's interesting and in that he's like a catcher who's gonna play the outfield for him so that's cool but Zach Gallen, a good pitcher for them and I don't know there's still not a whole lot of guys on the Giants I like either and the Rockies are kind of a dumpster fire looks like they're getting rid of or trying to get rid of all their good players at this point so I have them down at number five.
1: We'll have to see how if the Rockies solve a storybook ending to their 2021 <laughs> season. <laughs> because, well played. Yeah, yeah, I had to fit in that pun somewhere. I was, I was, wheels were starting to turn when you were saying that. But yeah, Trevor's story. He'll be interesting to see if he gets traded by a deadline because I can't imagine he stays in Colorado, especially what they did to Arenado. and they're not making, trying to make the playoffs anytime soon. And we say if Herman Marquez, who might be the most underrated p- starting pitcher in all of baseball, who pitches like a legend away from Coors Field and still wraps up. One of the most innings in all of baseball. I think he actually led all of baseball in innings pitched last year, which is pretty remarkable considering that he still had to pitch in Coors Field. So Rockies are number five for me too. But going right from the top, it's Dodgers and Padres. This is good. This is the most exciting one-two race in all of baseball because I remember just seeing side by sides about these two teams on MLB Network, and they're so close. And the Dodgers still might win this division rather easily, but. They have two of the most exciting teams in all of baseball. Just so much energy, so much flair, and I'd really love to see the Padres take down the Dodgers notch, especially after the Dodgers just won the World Series. I've had to put the Giants third because they're starting to turn into a pretty interesting team, and I'm predicting they'll have a very, very big 2021 offseason because they're having all these players come off the books. We might not see Posey or Crawford or Cueto anymore and Maybe not even Brandon Belt. So it'll be a very different team. But they have a young core of Flores and Mike Yastrzemski and Mauricio Dubon. So they're exciting. The D-Bats, not not too many good things you could say about them. I guess, I mean, I do like Zach Gallen in the rotation. And I also like Christian Walker at first base. He's Paul Goldschmidt's replacement. He actually has broken out pretty well. But they really are not too complete. They also have Tim McCastro, too. And he's one of the, he's actually the fastest man in in all of baseball. So yeah, like random guy. And he's never been caught stealing ever in like 20 plus attempts. So that'd be fun to see him play. Um, And then the Rockies, of course, who I already mentioned be dead last. And they're just going to be a dumpster fire all year long.
0: (laughs) And I do expect Trevor Story probably, I don't know, for sure going to get moved, but I would say more probable than not given that that contract expiring at the end of the season and they don't seem to have any intention of winning so maybe try and get something back for him in return kind of thought it may have happened last offseason I you know the Reds were supposed to be pretty heavily involved talking about him never happened and now D Gordon is their shortstop that's not a name that we cared to mention and, and playing up the Reds offense uh but yeah definitely uh very interesting race at the top of the NL West with the Dodgers and the Padres. And I think you probably convinced me, Adam, to where I would go ahead and flip the Giants for my number three and go D-backs at number four. But that'll be a fun division to watch. And that wraps up our division preview, our, our quick little pulse check on how we were feeling. So thank you for bearing with our rapid-fire thoughts there. And we are now going to... Provide some still pretty rapid, maybe not quite as rapid thoughts on our top 10 DHs. And without further ado, let's jump right into the list. Number 10 for me, I'm going Rowdy Tellez, who looks to be the primary DH for the Blue Jays, who are a much improved offense in this offseason, bringing in uh, Marcus Simeon and Bringing in uh, George Springer, that's that guy's name as well. That's going to be a great offense with a lot of opportunity for counting stats, which really helps to benefit a power hitter like Rowdy Telez, who did had an eight, who had an eight eight six OPS last year, and he doesn't have a terrible contact ability as well. Uh, he batted three fourteen in a short sample size in twenty eighteen and batted two eighty three last year. Granted, I'm leaving out the twenty nineteen season where he did bat two twenty seven, but. He's shown that he can hit for a decent average and could get his OBP up a little bit more. He doesn't draw too many walks, but he's only going to be 26 next year. So I like some upside for Rowdy Telez. and a cool name. His name is Rowdy. You got to love that.
1: You know, we actually got to meet Rowdy Telez in person.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah. Awesome. It was
1: actually, yeah. When I was uh, working as a press reporter for bat sports page, I was trying to interview Yankee players, but they were all caught up with reporters. So I went to the blue Jays side and, Telez was the uh, second player I interviewed. The other one was Thomas Pannone Jr. And Telez actually told me like this really great scoop about how Justin Smoke um, pretty much was there for him and like just helped him out. Like growing as a first baseman was like a really close confidant too, because Telez like recently lost his mother. So it was like really bizarre to hear that, especially since I was, you know, a rookie reporter at the time.
0: Yeah. That's amazing opportunity. Get to talk to a big leaguer and, one who's good enough to crack my my top 10 DH list at that, which I oh, know all, all jokes aside, that's awesome. That's like a pretty high profile pl- a player. So yeah, that great to have a chance to talk to him. I'm, yeah, I didn't know that about his mom though. That's sad to hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very sad, but very, very fun guy, very kind person too. So I'd have a little bit of a soft spot, but he also hits tanks. Yeah, That's, that's all this man does. He hits tanks and he's, he's a great DH too, especially with Aurora at first base. So that's probably where he'll be. And, He'll have some more opportunities to be in the DH role this year and wish him all the best. I guess another player, too, would be Mr. 247 himself and Chris Davis. And he's had a bit of a rough going the last two years, been worth negative war, according to fan But the power still has to be there. Maybe a change of scenery in Texas will allow him to play a bit more and get some more starting time. And perhaps he could change it around.
0: Yeah, man. I still remember the years where Crush Davis was giving us 40 home runs and 100 RBI, like year after year after year. I think he did it like three or four years in a row. So wild batting no one,
1: 247, too.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like it was that exact average. Just uncanny and very, I mean, that something to be said about the consistency there. And that wasn't really all that long ago. It was like two years ago now. And he's not yeah. not an old man by any means. So maybe the scenery change does help him out. and He can kind of, recapture that lightning in a bottle with texas but number nine for me i went with fran mil reyes uh, the franimal slum Fran friend millionaire and he has big power and really that's what you like to see in a dh guy can hit a whole lot of bombs and the reason i don't have him higher up on my list is for all the great uh bomb hitting ability he doesn't really do a whole lot of other stuff the the batting average usually isn't that great i mean although it's, it's Fairly average, had 263 for his career mark, but he doesn't get on base very well at all. Does not draw his walks. And whenever he was on the Padres and he really broke out, uh, it seemed like he just like exclusively hit solo shots. Maybe that was like a factor of lineup placement. So the counting stats never really looked all that great for Fran Mill either. Um, Maybe that's a factor, too, of not getting a whole lot of other hits other than home runs. But I'm supposed to say good things about him, and he hits a whole lot of tanks. So Fran Mill Reyes at number nine.
1: I think it accidentally skipped out on number 10, but my my number 10 pick, by the way, was Mitch Moreland, who he's been pretty consistent throughout his career, pretty much 20-homer guy. He's one who loves the words at first base, but according to fan graphs, he's a poor defensive player, and that's kind of why he hasn't been worth too much, and 2020 was his best year since 2015, at least in terms of F4. So he should be around career norms, slugging 20 home runs, providing at least adequate defense at first base, and Bays will take that That's decent production, at least – after train away crush Davis. And then going right into number nine, I have Yancy Diaz, and he's not your triple DH. He's not going to even hit really 10 home runs, but he bats over 300 and he's is on base percentage looking better too. So he's kind of a sleeper pick here. And I like Reyes in this mix too. It was very tough for me not to put him on the list because he does have 30 homer power, but I know in years past, he's had a really low on base percentage. And I think he got some help from a very high bad bit too. So, you know, perhaps he can really help out the Indians. He has the most power on the team, I would say, and perhaps he could benefit from that.
0: And I want to ask too, is Diaz still with the Rays?
1: Yeah, he's with the Rays.
0: Okay, cool. Then, yeah, I mean, that should help him too, just being in a good lineup there, help help the counting stats produce a little bit. He's a guy I probably should have considered for my top 10 list, but I did leave him off of the cut. Um, really didn't even think do honorable mention for him, but, I should have. So thank you for opening my eyes to that fact. Adam, number eight for me, I went with Trey Mancini. Uh, He's coming back from cancer, which caused him to miss the whole 2020 season. Uh, But he had a huge, huge breakout in 2019. He got a 291, 35 homers, 106 runs, 97 RBI, and an 899 OPS. That is insane production. That's like almost MVP level production. And Sadly, it looks like he did not get any MVP votes for any MVP consideration for that huge season. But that's an amazing stat line and a guy who's always had really good power, plays in a great ballpark to do so. And the batting average has always been pretty good for him as well. And he's he's a guy who actually does draw his walks and the OVP is pretty good. So I love me some Trey Mancini and definitely rooting for him. A feel-good story coming back from cancer, wishing him all the best in this 2021 season.
1: I actually have been seeing a little bit higher on my list too. And it's just a really feel good story. The entire Orioles team has been really, really supportive throughout this entire process as you would expect, but they've like signed this giant poster for him. The fans were greeting him so warmly when he returned. It's just someone you want to root for. And he's also the best Orioles hitter hands down. I mean, I don't care if he regresses a little bit from his 2019 season, there's no one better than him in that lineup. And, Sure, maybe not won't replicate it right away. That was 35 home runs and 97 or RBIs and a very poor lineup. But he's he's a solid hitter. So, yeah, uh, he's a little bit higher for me. But my number seven is actually Reyes himself. And as I was saying, his bad bit was stupidly high in 2020. It was 355, and the average is around 300. So, he's going to go – his bad average is going to go through the shoot. And he, his on-base percentage might be even under 300 because that's where he sits around his career. And he is ISO did take a bit of a regression in 2020, but he should at least bounce back in that regard. Still a 30-homer threat, and probably will back up Jose Ramirez in the lineup. So perhaps we'll have some more chances to cash in on RBIs.
0: That's a good point there, too, that it's not a great lineup in Cleveland, but being in the heart of that lineup, still going to get a lot of plate appearances and hopefully get some chances to bat uh, when guys actually are on base. The uh, few good hitters that they do have at the top of that Cleveland lineup. So, yeah, I'm interested to see Fran Mill this year as well. And I think, yeah, I mean, the home run, the powers are, are is going to play regardless. But let's see if he can improve those peripheral parts of his game as well. Uh, number seven for me, or is this six? I'm sorry, I got caught up on my list. Uh, looks like it should be number seven for me. I'm sorry. Jorge Soler, the man of the sun. He is a guy who has all the power of the world as well. It's kind of a common theme for my, my DHs here. I like DHs that hit tanks, man, and Jorge Soler does. 48 of them, to be exact, in 2019. There's a lot of swing and miss in his game as well. He led the league in strikeouts that year with 178 of them, but that was really his first chance to be a full-time player after being kind of a platoon guy, uh, but he played all 162 games in 2019. You saw the power was off the charts and a 265 batting average that year as well. The 354 on on-base percentage it was pretty awesome, a nine twenty-two OPS. Just went through all his 2019 stats while I'm at it. He did struggle a little bit last year with a 228 batting average, but that's a small sample size, and he still hit eight homers, which – pace out to like 25 or so so a little bit of power decline but still I mean he's got 48 homers in that bat we saw it as recently as 2019.
1: Actually Soler is much higher on my list so I'm a little surprised he had him this low because there's not too many like really good DHs in the American League and just someone who can really just hit bombs as you said in Soler he paced the AL when he had 48 home runs and he also had a bit of a down 2020 course, as he mentioned. There are definitely some red flats, though, I will admit. His strikeout rate jumped very high in 2020. I think it jumped to around 34%. But power potential is there, and he's only 29. So definitely some reason to think that he'd be higher on our list. And then going to my number seven pick, I have Trey Mancini here, and he won't be DH the entire year. That role might return to Chris Davis if they still try to have him in the lineup. I imagine they would because they still owe him so much money, but for the time being, at least Mancini will hold down the DH frame. Maybe he's a bit of a worse defender than Davis. I'm not entirely sure. Still get some reps there when he's back. But like I said before, a lot of power, very good pure hitter around 270, 280 hitter. And he's definitely going to be the bread and butter of this Orioles lineup.
0: Trey Mancini. Don't you be a meanie to quote the little Nas X, uh, Yes. Great little Nas X, oh uh, indirectly, I guess not an exact quote, but that's always what I think when I hear Trey Mancini. Uh, I think about the Hey Panini song. But anyways, moving on to number six in my list, I go with Giancarlo Stanton, who, if we're looking at upside alone, a guy who should be ranked much, much higher up on this list. We saw that with the 2017, it was, MVP season, mm-hmm. where he put up astronomical numbers. As a member of the Miami Marlins in a cavernous park. A terrible lineup. Now he's in a great hitter's ballpark, in a great lineup. So why doesn't it happen, Giancarlo Stanton? And the reason is injuries. Injuries year after year. He actually was pretty healthy, very healthy. played 158 games in his first season in the Yankee in 2018. And the production was good. 100 RBI, he hit 38 homers. Uh, But in the past two years, 2019 and 2020, he has played just 50. No, it's not even 50 41 I think. Here. 41 games combined, which yikes, man, not even the full like shortened season worth of games. It's just staying on the field. He's got a huge body and tough frames. So it does seem to seem like those builds kind of can be more injury prone. And it's just a rough track record of injuries. And it's kind of stuff that sometimes just seems random. So that kind of gives me hope that he can break out of it. He's only going to be 31. I know. Years ago, it was like hit in the face with a foul or Ooh, yeah. not a foul ball, but like fires. Yeah, but so like freak accident stuff to where just yeah, just stay healthy, hit a hundred RBI, give us forty bombs because he so obviously can, especially in that lineup in that ballpark. It's it's just a sleeping dragon, Gian- Giancarlo Stanton. But yeah, the injury history I know at least for me is, is frustrating. I'm sure as a Yankees fan, it is as
1: well it's an incredibly frustrating as a Yankee fan because the biggest thing when he came to the Yankees that was advertised was him and judge belly to belly in the lineup. And they've only played about 20 or so games together in their two years on the Yankees, which is very, very hard to believe. And Stanton, of course, I mean, this guy in this, in the Yankees ballpark can easily hit 50 homers. I don't know if he'll quite do that just because he's bound to get injured this year. It's been like that his entire career, maybe some yoga from Eric Cressy will, mm-hmm. Change that. We don't know yet. Maybe that'll solve all the Yankees problems. Who knows? <laughs> my parents do yoga. They, they tell me it helps. So maybe maybe Eric Crestry is uh, channeling my mom's yoga routine or something <laughs> like that. And, and so is Stanton. But I mean, I wish this guy all the best because now I'm for the Yankees, but he's just a fun player. He hits the ball pretty much harder than anyone else. The talent is still obviously there. And he also could still have a Hall of Fame career if he can get things back on track and still be healthy.
0: Yeah. It's really all hell's for him, man. Like there's, there's no doubt in the upside. There's no doubt in the power. Even a couple days ago in spring training, I think he hit like a yeah. 450 foot bomb, something like 115 exit velo or something. Hey, exit velo, the name of the show, but dude hits crazy hard baseballs and just to stay healthy and yeah, rack up those statistics and this man will go to the hall of fame.
1: For sure. Yeah. He's, he's a fun player to watch and, I also just love his stance too. Like he's just a, he's, he's a hilarious guy. I love his Instagram captions, but like this stance too, is just wide open. And then he just steps in and just like hits, hits beams. And it's just perfect for Yankee stadium too, especially with that short right field porch that as a righty, he's able to take advantage of pretty easily. He seems
0: like he could hit 60 home runs. Yeah. If he just gave us a full, like healthy season in Yankee stadium, it's, it's going to happen one of these years, man.
1: I hope so. You're, you're making me believe in him. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I mean, him, I just want to see him and Judge together for like, like I know Yeah, you said that was like supposed to be the, the feature of the lineup, them two together, the Bash brothers. And if we see that for a significant amount of time, that would be unstoppable.
1: Yeah, that would be, that'd be amazing. And I, I don't know if I mentioned it as clear, but Stanton was also my number six pick, of course, and for, for all the reasons that we listed.
0: Okay, so that was number six for me, number six for you. A little bit of agreement there, but number five for me moving forward, a guy we discussed earlier in the show. It's Shoki Otani, a potential two-way superstar. And this is kind of cheating because I get to like use his pitching stats in this spot as well, I guess. Uh, but he's he's a pretty good hitter too. He's a career um I'm sorry. He's a career 843 OPS. We saw that be as high as 925 in 2018, his first season with the Angels. It didn't hit really all that great last year. It was 657, but so that kind of drags it down a little bit. He was an 848 OPS guy in 2019, so the bat's been awesome. He hits home runs. He steals bases. He hits for a high average other than 2020, and then he also pitches, by the way, which even if that's not great, I know that the health is a little bit of a question there on the pitching side, but he has the potential to be the Japanese Babe Ruth. And it's, he's still a young guy, only going to be 26. So maybe it doesn't necessarily have to all click together this year for Otani. But if it does, we are talking crazy war potential, getting it both from the plate and on the pitching side.
1: I forgot about the war for him. That's so funny because like, imagine he's like a 2 war player from like hitting and pitching that that'd be so cool and like that's certainly possible in his future and I think one of the reasons why he didn't succeed at at all pretty much last year was I mean the power was still there but he also like tore his ucl and that's why he couldn't pitch so that must have sapped his hitting ability at least a little bit and in spring training so far I think there was this one put with him hitting the ball over the batter's eye in center field so all the tools are still there even pitching wise still throws 100, it still gets up the strikeouts. He's a great guy, and he's a little bit higher on my list. But coming at, at, at number five for me is J.D. Martinez. And he just seemed like he found some bad luck in 2020 from bad BIP, and he also decreased in power, to seven homers in 54 games, and just a 175 ISO, which I believe is slightly below Major League average. Just a lot of things didn't go right from decrease in exit velo, low walk rate, higher strikeout rate. And he only had a say the OPS. He was actually, I think, even worth negative WAR last year, torn the fans draft. So I know I'm throwing a lot of stats at you, but he also was just one of the most consistent players over the last five years or so, and he can really rake. And I think the Red Sox lineup will get a little better this year, just sort of the type of talent that they're bringing to the table. And maybe Bobby Dalback will break out as well, get protection. So he should return back to normal, and that's why it comes at number five for me.
0: I mean, I would believe it that he was a negative four player last year at the 213 average, a 291 OBP, and 680 OPS, it's pretty much career lows across the board for JD Martinez, but I'm willing to kind of throw that out and and believe in the track record of the guy he's been for the past three, four years previous to that. He's been amazing as a Red Sox, like a perennial 300 hitter, giving you 30 to actually more than that, like 35 to 40 home runs typically. and. 100-plus RBI, and I do think that lineup as a whole will bounce back to help the counting stats a little bit. So I have J.D. Martinez a couple slots higher on my list. Number four for me is a guy who I was a little confused whether or not we could include him as a DH, but I just went ahead and went for it because Roster Resource had him there. So I was going Austin Meadows, uh, who I think will be mostly – most of the the primary DH for the Rays, Um, but he had – 3.9 3.9 war over the last two years is actually fourth among dhs so that makes me feel pretty smart about slotting him at number four uh, but i think he's a very underrated hitter and perhaps that's just a product of being on the raise but very well-rounded approach at the plate he, he walks takes his walks he gives you a little bit of pop he gives you a little bit of speed hits for pretty good contact he just does a lot of things well um, so I think he's kind of the heart and soul of that raised lineup and I feel pretty good about ranking him number four, as long as he qualifies as a DH.
1: Yeah. We use different websites a little bit this summer. I use Fangraphs, and they didn't have him as a DH, but I wouldn't be surprised because we were talking about this before the show. It should be Kiermaier in center, the Rose ran left unless he has that domestic violence suspension, which is, could be pending because he did have that case against him. And I know MLB is still investigating that. Then Margot actually was a superstar in the playoffs, so he deserves to be a starter as well and has great speed and now is developing power too, so he can be a great threat and he's a very good fielder as well. Great, Very solid right field and Meadows really isn't that great of a fielder, so kind of belongs in that DH spot and I feel like the Rays have DH by committee. They also have Yandy Diaz, who I mentioned earlier. They have um, Tsutsugo as well, and I think even G-Man Choi can be DH, but Meadows would make the most sense for them. So, if I had used the same website as you, I would have him on my list. But going to my number four pick, I have Otani. And yeah, a lot of things went wrong for him last year. He had some bad luck by his 220 on ball in play, which is really low for him, especially someone who wraps up a fair amount of stolen bases. He's one of the faster players in the game. I think I saw something a couple of years ago. He's like right up there of Trout and Altuve, which is pretty hard to imagine because what can this guy not do? He's just an elite baseball player all around. And then he, besides, yeah.
0: I was just going to say, he is, is really fun to watch and just amazing to imagine all the things that he can accomplish, both as a pitcher and a hitter. It's, it's just great for the game.
1: Exactly. I think Otani's the most fun player to watch. I think it's he's more fun to watch than Trout and Tatis Jr. because he can do it all. He literally can do it all. I want to see – I mean, if Trout were to pitch, I'd love him even more, but he doesn't, unfortunately. But So – Otani's is just a fun guy. It's something that we want to like really see become the Japanese babe proof. And hopefully that can happen when he returns to mound this year.
0: I hope so. I just hope he can be healthy for a full year. And I mean, worst case scenario, even if he's not, he, the bat has looked pretty awesome as a show. Even if we can get him as a hitter, I would appreciate him there. But, yeah. I want to see him play both ways. So bad, man, that's something the game hasn't seen in like century or a century, not centuries, but a long time basically. But Number three for me is Air Jordan, or Air Jordan, if you will. Jordan Alvarez, the stud DH for the Houston Astros. Guy came up in 2019, and as a rookie, winning rookie of the year, was basically the best hitter in the league, one of the best. and I know you mentioned the stats earlier in the show, Adam. 87 games, he had 27 bombs, had a 1.067 OPS, followed it up, and only two games last year, but was good in those two games with a 958 OPS. I was about to lead with that, and then I saw it was only two games. So injuries is the kind of the reason you have to be afraid of Jordan. Uh, we, we talked about that double knee surgery in the offseason, um, and that could be something that plagues him going forward. You never want to see a 24-year-old already have two possibly bum knees. I, I don't know if they're bum yet, but not a great sign. But, hey, he's a DH. He can hit tanks, and – jog around the base paths but he's a really well-rounded hitter so I, mean, I think seeing some mobility would be good for him as well because he's a guy who's not just going to hit home runs hit a whole lot of singles and doubles as well and be on those base paths and he's an amazing hitter so Alvarez number three for me
1: he also is only 23 years old and he uses the entire field as well he's a very pure hitter and if you added his league stats in 2019 he hit 50 homers then he had 23 more home runs and 56 games in the minors, which is really hard to believe because he's so young, but so, so talented. And he just kind of reminds me of Juan Soto a little bit, just bringing all his talent directly into the major league level right away. And as I said earlier, his knees are going to affect him. He's a little bit higher on my list because I still have a lot of confidence in him. I still think he can be hit 40 home runs. I still think he's one of the best pure hitters in the game. And that's really saying something because there's so many good hitters. And once again, he's not... He doesn't have too much major league experience. But moving to my number three pick, I have Jorge Soler, and he, he's, he's dominant. I think he really broke out in 2019 with the Royals, and I think that's the Jorge Soler that we're going to see pretty often. He also like added to his walk rate as well, so that was something he struggled early on in his career with. And once he has plate discipline in the game, then I can kind of offset the strikeouts a little bit and just make some more of a complete player. So that's why he's listed number three for me.
0: That is a great point too, Adam. That that yeah, does help to offset the strikeouts. That plate discipline, uh, taking more walks, hopefully help drive out the or drive up the batting average a little bit there as well. Which, if you round that out with the amazing power that he has, we are talking a dynamic producer at the plate and Jorge Soler. So, yeah, I probably should have had him up a little bit higher on my rankings as well. But I, I definitely respect the ranking at number three for Soler power, but. Number two for me, a guy I know we discussed a little bit earlier, J.D. Martinez, and that's just betting on the track record, betting on a little bit of a bounce back for both him and the Red Sox and producing. He has 8.1 war over the last three seasons, which is second best among D.H., and that is including that pretty even uh, dismal 2020 season in which we was a negative war player, so it would have been even higher than that if it was a even just a normal uh, down season for, for Martinez instead of the terrible season that it was. But I'm, I'm betting on the bounce back. He's too good of a hitter not to produce. He's not that old either, so I don't think he's just done. He's, he's only going to be 33 next season. And come on, man, how hard is it to be a DH? You don't even have to play the field. You can just hit for a living, go out there and hit tanks, hit doubles off the green monster, just... Be the beast. We know you can be J.D. Martinez. And, hey, maybe lead those Boston Red Sox to return to form and surprise some people.
1: And he should mostly just be the DH for the Red Sox because they have five or even six outfitters at this point, if you include Kike Hernandez. So he also will get video replay back again, and he's been a huge contributor about that. I want to believe that he's a pure guy because he was teaching everyone in the Red Sox organization about that. And (laughs) maybe that's true, but... He should have it back, and that should help out his hitting too because he was really a big influencer in that regard. So I, I respect the pick for number two. But nevertheless, Alvarez has to be number two for me. Very tough not putting number one just because he's younger. He has so much talent. And you want to believe that our number one pick will finally catch up to father time, but it doesn't seem all too likely. We'll reveal him shortly. But Aerie Don is just too talented to not be number two and there's a good reason to believe he'll be number one by the end of the year as well
0: yeah it, it's coming at some point uh yeah I know father time definitely a factor there uh but yeah I mean we do still need to see Alvarez's knees hold up but wouldn't that be something if, if somehow our guy we do have at number one was able to outlast him but I, I don't think that'll happen uh, given that this guy is going to be 40 next year but gosh he just hits And hits, and hits, and hits, and hits, Adam, year after year. When will it stop? I don't know. He might be the Tom Brady of baseball without the championships. I know that was something we discussed early in the show as well. Here's a dude who had an MVP-like season at age 39 for the Minnesota Twins. You know who I'm talking about. It's Nelson Cruz. He just keeps hitting 40 home runs every year, 300 batting average. It's nothing to a guy like Nelson he gets on base. He takes his walks. There's nothing this man can't do other than play the field. But that doesn't matter. He's a <laughs> DH. <sighs> He's
1: amazing. If only he play the field. Like I said, this is why this is why Otani is the most exciting player in baseball. But you want an exciting hitter in baseball? It is Nelson Cruz. He is the Tom Brady of baseball. He's just so much fun. And, you know, he t- was taken aback with PEDs a bunch of years ago. But no one remembers that because – it's almost like he's Bartolo and He's still a lovable guy who just rates. And he's a pure hitter too. I think his career batting average is even pretty close to 300. And he bat over 300 last year for those who care about batting average, had a 992 OPS, hit 16 home runs. And again, this is in a season where everyone struggled, but not Nelson Cruz because why would Nelson Cruz ever struggle at hitting? He just doesn't. It doesn't work like that for him.
0: It doesn't. He is a machine at the plate. He just produces year after year and there's no sign of decline yet which is amazing for a guy who is 40 years old. That's why we draw the Tom Brady comparisons. Just a dude who's still at the top of his game at this advanced age. No sign of slowing down and still in a good lineup in Minnesota where I think the supporting cast is going to help provide some protection in that lineup and give him good uh, counting stats as well. So Nelson Cruz isn't going anywhere just yet. Uh, We're still confident putting him at number one on our list this year. Maybe Alvarez does end up taking him over by the end of the season. There's a lot of upside there for Jordan Alvarez. There's a lot of good DHS on this list. Even uh, I know this will be perhaps an interesting discussion going forward as the NL adds some DHS to the mix, hopefully moving forward. But for now, we only have 15 or so guys to consider, and I think it's a pretty solid top ten.
1: I agree. And it's funny too, because before the show saying, Hey, should we have a top five for this? Because there's not many top 10, but there are some deserving DHS. I know the top five was very different than the bottom five, but there's a lot of sleeper pits too, who can really rise the rankings. Like we both had stance at number six, I believe. So, you know, it makes sense. And I'm, I'm happy that we did a top 10 version with this.
0: Which, not to mention too, like there's a couple. I don't know, actually. I guess if I'm using Otani, I was gonna say there's a couple like former legends in Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera who we could have given consideration to as well. But I guess they're probably gonna use Pujols mostly at first base or maybe not really play that all that much because he's not great anymore. But yeah, still a former legend. Uh, and Miguel Cabrera, somebody who will still play because his team's a lot worse. But that's about all the time we have for tonight. Thank you all for bearing with us in our rapid fire discussions and. I know you all are as excited for the start of the season as we are. So another great episode of the Exit Velo podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Henry and Adam brought to you by Back Sports Page. And we will see you same time next week, y'all. Well, probably a little bit earlier, but same day next week. It'll be Saturday. Thank you all for tuning in. And baseball is almost back.